This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with CEO of Traeger Grills, Jeremy Andrus. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Jeremy Andrus, named EY Entrepreneur of the Year in 2016, who took skull candy from four employees to a $300 million enterprise, and then as CEO of Traeger Grills has grown it into a half-billion-dollar public company, shares his understanding of what it takes to build a unique and extraordinary growth culture where 75% of Traeger grill owners have actually influenced the sale of one or more Traeger grills, and 25% have influenced the sale of three or more. Hold on to your seat. This is the most important and powerful masterclass on culture creation you will ever hear. So welcome to this episode, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today is Jeremy Andrus. I know so much more about him than he would ever dream possible that in our short interview, I want to dive deeper than perhaps he usually does on these podcasts. I've had a chance to uh, work with his wife, Kristen, whom we will also have as a guest because you are truly the, 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 the epitome of a power couple. She's so philanthropic and she comes so often to our station here in the lifestyle segments talking about what she does as a mother of your amazing children and mixes that with the work-life balance, which is not work-life balance at all in the Andrews no. family. It's not an either-or proposition. It's an either-and. She truly has it all and does it all. And I wanted to pay tribute to her because I know of her support with you all these years as you've worked your magic in the corporate arena. You, you know, I'm, I'm glad you start with that. Um, Kristen is a force, and uh, I would be the first to acknowledge what we do as a team sport, what what I do as a team sport, and when you get such strength and support and energy from your wife and partner, it is like it it, it just that that confidence just really pervades everything that we do together. Absolutely, and I wanted to start there, my friends, because if you have a chance to go to an April March March April uh, two thousand nineteen article. In Harvard Business Review, there is an extraordinary article by Jeremy Andrus that that is is titled basically "Unraveling or or Checking or Fixing uh, a, a Toxic Culture." And you exactly you are exactly the same off stage as you are on stage. My son has the privilege of working mm-hmm. in Trigger Grill. And every single day, Jeremy, he calls us and reports on how much fun he had at work, how excited it is. I've met so many of his colleagues. And truly, Traeger Grill, your culture is the most unique culture I've ever experienced where everybody loves to come to work. The benefits, I, was, I told my son, I was going to kid you that with all of his benefits, with travel, with with golf passes, with ski passes, and if he could just pass those on to me, I might not even stay at home for six <laughs> weeks just using my Traeger benefits. You've created a culture. I want to take us all the way back 
in a nutshell, give us an insight of how you started going to Harvard Business School and where in your journey you actually learned the significance of what Peter Drucker made famous. Once you get the culture right, yeah. the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. Look, uh, I wish I had learned it a long time ago, and I wish I had learned it at Harvard Business School, and there are things that you read in case studies that you don't truly understand until you are building yourself. And so, you know, I always wanted to go to Harvard Business School. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and CEO. And um, I eventually got into Harvard Business School, got, got rejected initially, and just, just kept grinding and got in. And, um, you know, then, then I went out at, in the workforce, and, and I was an entrepreneur. And it's very easy for a career to be all about you. And that, that's not, it's inherently a self-serving, sort of self-centered thing. We see the world through our lens and I was no different. I, w I wasn't a bad person, but it was about me. And I wanted to win. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to pay off the Subaru and business school and some of my day, trader, day trading debt as well. <laughs> and so uh, I ground hard. And as I, uh, as I was an entrepreneur and building a business, I believed in building culture because I thought that created a great business outcome. And I will tell you, I learned along the way, and I would say actually recently, I, I, I've learned this at, at Traeger as we went through some hard things, that you build great culture because it's the right thing to do. It's the right way to lead. And I remember being very struck by something that uh, Clayton Christensen, who, who was a professor at Harvard Business School and you know what, it voted uh, top business mind in the world more than uh, multiple years he wrote the book, How Will Your Life Be Be Judged or, 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 or Graded? How Will I Measure My Life? Exactly. How Will I Measure My Life? And, yeah. and, and it's interesting because I, I got to a point where I felt like basic needs were met and career wasn't that satisfying to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, makes, he, he makes a statement um, that uh, being, being a great leader or manager in business is noble because of the impact that you have on other people. And it's not about W-2 making paycheck every other week. It's that when they come in and you give them an environment that helps them become their best self, they're not just great at work, but everything, all of the personal attributes that you learn, and we spend a lot of time working through adversity and being stretched and being supported and being developed, all of those things influence who you are and who you become. And that, that, that was powerful for me. And so I really took that to heart and had some hard experiences at Traeger early on. Yes, sir. And what I realized is that when you authentically build a place that makes people feel valued, they do great work because they don't want to disappoint because they feel that you care for them. And that, that's caring for someone I think is very different than aligning economic interests. And uh, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but, but I have found that when I do it authentically, people feel it. And by the way, my career, I don't have a career anymore. I do this for fun every absolutely. day. I can't wait for Monday morning to roll around. But what I love about it is that I, go, I get to go spend time with people I care about, and I would do anything for them. And by the way, your son is an, is an amazing human being, he would do anything for Traeger. 
Sure. And that's that's like this very virtuous way to live life where what brings you together is a for-profit organization, but what really binds you together is this feeling that you're in it for you're in it together. Absolutely. So National Survey uh, reports that 80% of people are not working in their dream job. In fact, most people hate their jobs. They only look forward to Friday instead mm. of Monday. They think they're paid by the hour when in reality we're paid for the value we bring yeah. to that hour. So in your Harvard Business Review article, one thing of many that ju jumped off the pages was that your culture has nothing to do with bending metal no. and the mechanical operation of a grill. It has to do with cooking and with food. And when food is one of our love languages, as it is in my family culture, and we gather around that, that, that ironwood, and, uh, and, you know, we need to talk on another day. I want to have him and, and his wife, uh, Kristen, in at the same time. She's an amazing cook, by the but way. I know. But my wife, she watches, you know, your chefs. I mean, you've made them superstars. Yeah. And, you know, so for our Christmas feast, family feast with family members flying in from out of town, we go to provisions, we buy an 18-pound Wagyu brisket and all of the side dishes. Your culture truly is about having people love to come to work. And because it's about cooking and food, yeah. let me ask you to go back to the beginning days. Quickly, you started at Skull Candy. Yeah when it was $70 million a year, and you took it to $300 million. Skull Candy was a half million dollars a year. Oh, oh yeah, $500,000. It, it, it was yeah. a startup. Exactly, yep. 500000 And in eight years, you took it to $300 million and then went public. So Traeger is the second company you've taken public. Yeah. But in my what experience... What am I thinking? Well, this is my question, bro. <laughs> in most companies, when they go public, they lose their culture, yeah. and you've been able to maintain yeah. it. Please take us back to the transition from from Skull Candy yeah. to investigating time and time again the Traeger offer, looking to buy into a company and take us back to that first experience when you went to Oregon in 2014 and the truck is on fire oh and you're, you're truly afraid for your life. Put that in a nutshell so we can really dig deep into how much culture means yeah. to you. you. You want me to feel PTSD right now? Absolutely, this brother. You, you know what, so, so I, I would say first of all that you can go to any business school, you can read any case study, but you really learn by pattern recognition along the way by, mm. by doing. And, you know, I was, I was a young CEO at Skull Candy. I would be the first to, to acknowledge. I didn't really know what I was doing. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, Skull Candy at the time when he joined at $500,000 a year, they were making the headphone sets for snowboard helmets. Yeah. And then he was the one that took it into the earplugs, the earphones, and that's very important because his creative juices, we will not have a chance to even scratch the surface of his creative genius. But I wanted you to know about the background of School Candy. Go you know, on, bro. Creative genius is hiring amazingly <laughs> creative people. I love it. Um, yeah, and so, so I, I and, and then we took School Candy public. And uh, it was a hard moment in my career. I mean, it was like, it was heavy. It was painful. I was a deer in the headlights. And it went from being fun to like, really being horrible every single day. And I can tell, I mean, like I was, I, I, I used to, I would put on my sunglasses in the office because I'd be crying on the way there. I, it was so heavy for me. And um, I left and I said, 
I'm, I'm not going to look back in my 30s and say that's when I did my best work. I'm not going to be 30 years back and say, boy, 30 years ago, that was great work. And, and I knew that although there were some things that we had done well, we had failed in a lot of ways. And by the way, as leader, I, I own those things. And so uh, one of those was that we went public and, and I let the culture go. And, uh, and, and I never did it intentionally. There was never a moment where I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prioritize public investors and the pressure that I feel under my feet for culture. But that's exactly what I did. And so I got to, I got to Traeger and the culture was toxic. And when you first bought in, you were a, you were a, a minority owner with the equity firm, right? You, you know, actually, I was a, a minority owner originally with the, the an individual, the owner of the business. And, and oh. I co-invested with someone else. But we were junior partners to, to, this, to the operator. And uh, I showed up, and I loved the business from the outside, and I hated it from the inside. I, I showed up, and I just... I felt sick to my stomach every time I went to the office. And I will tell you a couple of thoughts that, that, that I had early, even before this incident happened. Nobody should feel sick to their stomach showing at the office, up to the office. People should look forward to going back. And that is the greatest legacy of a leader, that you show up and you feel good. It's not to say that it's easy, but you feel good about being there. And I didn't. And so, um, you know, we were able to buy the rest of the business. Uh, my partner and I, we bought, we bought 100% of the business. And then I set out to change not only the culture, but the strategy and the business operations. And I remember standing in front of the, uh, the, the warehouse team and saying, we can't scale this. You know, we don't have the capabilities. We've built this very sort of 1980s-esque supply chain. And it with, just, your, with your own trucks and your trucks own warehouse and, and, and all your competitors had already outsourced that. And so you're stuck with this archaic 100%, 100%. And so I, I stood in, we, we stood in front of them and, and we explained this. And then um, we said, we're going to make a change. And by the way, we're going to pay you severance in eight weeks if you haven't found something else. You can, uh, UPS will hire all of you that they became our great partners and drove to the office. Uh, the next time I drove to the office at 7.30 in the morning, I see fire trucks and poli police cars, and I see one of our 18-wheel rigs on fire. And it's not just on fire. Like, this has been doused with fuel, and it's melting. I mean, like, half of it's gone. And um, it was an incident of arson. Apparently, there, the, 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 the culture didn't allow for this type of decision-making, and it was a very scary day for me. I mean, like, it was very scary. To, I huddled with my team of executives and, and said, what do you do when your truck is burning down and you, and you want to get the company together, but you fear for your life? And um, in that moment, honestly, I would have turned in the keys and run the other direction, notwithstanding the, the very large investment that, uh, that my family had made in the business. You get into a moment like that, it's like money doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And then I look at my executive team of four guys that I'd hired from Skull Candy, and I said, you know what? They quit their jobs to join me. I can't, I can't just up and leave. And, 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 it's, and it's interesting because I, there were a couple of very significant lessons that came from this. One was I got six months beyond this 
we, when when we controlled the business and we were rebuilding the team, and I and I was having the time of my life. Now it was a totally dysfunctional company operationally, but I was having a good time. My team was having a good time, and I said, "I'm glad I didn't quit." I was closer to finding my way out and, and sort of being on the journey to success than than I knew in that the moment that felt like it was just deep. It was it was awful. The other was that. You know, I had I had been more involved in startups, and in a startup, you, you build you build culture one hire at a time. And even when it's not deliberate, if you're inherently optimistic and have positive energy, you tend to hire people who see the world through a similar lens. And I got in this 27 year old business, and remembering the old owner, you know, he he was a toxic guy himself, and and he managed and and, and operated out of fear he built he built it he built a team based on people who feared him and by the way he and i reconciled this summer after eight after eight years we we reconnected and it was a very interesting experience but i decided that uh i couldn't change people uh and so i had to change the people and start over and that the foundation of this business was not capability it wasn't resume all of those those things are all minimum threshold but if you look at great organizations, not just businesses, great teams, what what ultimately makes them special is this glue called culture that 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 really it it motivates them to be more than who they are as individuals, and that that was a very strong commitment. And I'll tell you, you know, we've hired eight hundred people around yes, the sir. world since then, and what I feel the most proud of has nothing to do with financial performance, quality of product, strategies, none of those things. It's that I actually feel like we have protected the culture Mm -hmm. and we've grown by filtering for cultural cultural fits, cultural multipliers. And it feels good when I walk into the office every Monday morning. Your, your son yes, actually sir, manages. No one, no one feels like they work for you. They work with you. We're partners. Absolutely. We're partners. And it's, a, it, it's hierarchically, it's flat. And people know my doors, open, my doors open. And I can go to our office in Europe. I can go to our office in Shanghai. And I walk in and I feel that same culture. And to me, long term, that's winning. Because I believe that. 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we, we, we look back to, you know, 2021, and we don't say, hey, boy, how, how much did profit grow that year? We look back and say, hey, you remember so-and-so? Do you know what they've gone on to do? Absolutely. That's awesome. And so it's the culture that gives people those possibilities. Absolutely. So what you need to know, pre-COVID, Traeger would, would cook these magnificent celebrity chefs in-house would cook up lunch for every one of your employees. And uh, my son says, as he runs your Monday morning meetings, that you still cook breakfast for those, and then you broadcast it out to two or 300 folks at the same time. So the culture in-house is very intriguing. Maybe some of you aren't familiar with Traeger. He's a real guy, Mr. Traeger. And he took wood, and he created wood pellets and turn them into a wood burning stove. And I only bring that up because getting to know you better, Jeremy, you've taken a basic human being and you've 
allowed and given him or her permission to repurpose themselves just like you yes. do wood into yeah. a wood pellet that originally came into the marketplace to provide warmth and heat in a home yeah. back in the 70s when we had the oil crisis. And now taking a simple wood pellet to the highest possible imaginative yeah. creative level to create culture around family experiences, around cooking, around laughter, around tears, around support is so extraordinary. And I bring that up and milk that because that's who you are. That's what makes you so different as a CEO. That's what makes you so different as a shareholder. That's what makes you so different as a husband, as a father. That's what makes you so, so famous around our parts is because you actually don't look at anyone for who they are. You always look at at them for what they have the power 100%. and potential to become, just like you do a wood pellet, and now you expand into provisions and into, I mean, I can't tell you how much money I've spent on triggers. And just for the record, I bought five trigger grills to give <laughs> away. Right? And who knows, maybe when we finally air this podcast, we'll give it away as a contest for people. I love it. I, I, I believe in what you do because Thank of you. what you're able to create as a result of the product based on your mindset. So let's just take it to the next level. Yeah. Teach us what, what you had to do to change that culture with the question, can you teach other CEOs and startups and in 27-year-old established organizations to do the same? Because Absolutely. culture is king and queen. Teach us your secret sauce. You know, look, uh, the, the answer is, it's actually not that expensive to do. To, it's, it's actually not expensive at all. It requires you to to recognize that any rally cry that's meaningful to people is about people, and so you know, for example, from from a customer perspective, and and and, and you've nailed it. Our our promise to our to our end consumers uh, are bring is to bring people together to create a more flavorful world, and flavor for us, it's not just in the food; it's in the richness of a life well lived. And, and we want our brand to stand for that. And then when you when you pull that all the way back to the team of people that you surround yourself by, when they know that you're not just trying to transact and make a buck, and they also know that the rally cry internally is about them, and it truly is, that's when you unlock something that, that is never unlocked in a resume or in a job description. And so... The rally cry has to be about the people, how you respect them, how you build them. And, you know, I'll, I'll share a quick quick anecdote with you. Um, I, I remember the week of March 13th, Friday the 13th, 2020. That's the day where we said goodbye to our team, not knowing if it was going to be four weeks or four years. And by the way, who knows at this point? And... Um, we spent the week leading up to that sort of huddled in my office with a handful of people. And one of the things that was abundant, there were two things that were abundantly uh, clear to us. Number one, people were scared. And uh, I, I was scared. The team was scared. People were scared. I mean, like all of like our community was. And we needed to do, we needed to be part of the solution for them. As opposed, and by by the way, we kind of said we've got debt on our business. We're selling a premium product. We don't know if we're going to survive this thing, but what we're going to do because we can't be on the road cooking in 
in retail shops and teach, teaching people to cook, we're going to figure out a way to get into people's backyards and in their living rooms. And so, you know, you get, the, you get a team of people together and say, hey, look, we're going to be meaningful to our community. And we, and we built this program called Traeger Kitchen Live. And it was interesting because at the time, we couldn't even get on an airplane, go into someone's backyard, and, and, and set up a film crew. And so our team found technology, technology in a box. We had it shipped out. Uh, it, it, one of our chefs would set it up in their backyard. They would do this on their own. And we were having like 150,000 people a week we did it every week, watching an hour cooking segment. 151,000. My wife was always tuned in. I, I, I love it. And by, by the way, people felt connected oh, to that. Oh, yeah. And, and I remember I spent a lot of time on, I spend a lot of time on social media because I want to understand what our community is saying. And I read thousands of comments a week. And one of the, one of the posts that really, really stuck out to me, this woman posted uh, a picture of her and her family in the backyard and food and uh, with with the hashtag uh, stay calm and Traeger on. And it's like, and, and I was like, Traeger on? It's like, hashtag Traeger on. It's like, what, what are we going to do? Well, we're part of a community. And even though we can't have the community to our backyard, digitally, socially, we can stay connected. And there was this tremendous support that happened in the community it created a bond that I've never seen in any brand, and people became best friends around the world through through this this community, the Traegerhood. And I say that because that started with our team in you know in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they did it not because they had a job description that said it; they did it because they believe in what we're doing, and they know that we believe in them. And that's powerful because suddenly people are innovating not to make a buck, but, but to be important and to be meaningful to people. Absolutely. So with you and, and Kristen being the epitome of the power couple, let me put you on the hot, speed, hot seat for the last couple of minutes. Your best advice in being a, a CEO? Look, it's um, the joy in your career comes by viewing other people as more important than viewing their journey as more important than yours. And there are a thousand things that you can do, but if your starting point is not always, I am the protagonist and like the whole world revolves around me, but it's Danny. If I can make Danny know that I care about his journey more than mine, first of all, Danny's going to be more successful but I'm going to enjoy it more. My career means, like, the time that I spend doing this is so much more meaningful to me now because I get to look at the world through other people's lenses. I get to, I get to see them accomplish things that not only make them better at Traeger, but it, it just makes them better human beings when they go back to their, their homes, their communities. Absolutely. Whatever it is they do, and that, that's a real joy because I just think you get to the end of a career and you say, if it was just for me, like how, how meaningful can that be? Exactly. And so the statistic I quoted, real national survey, 80% of people are not in their dream jobs and they actually hate their, their work. What would happen to your company if 
percent of your employees actually loved their job and loved coming to work like they do at Traeger. And second question, your best advice for being the greatest husband on the planet? Boy, uh, so, so I, I'll just give you sort of a couple of headline comments. First of all, I had no idea who I was marrying. And you, you, you never really do. It's always a leap of faith. I thought she was great, and I loved her when I married her. And she's just, I mean, she's, my, my wildest expectations have been exceeded. And so I would say early in our, our marriage, um, my career was still about me, and our marriage was average. And when, when you start to view partnership and friendship and love and marriage as serving the other more than yourself, and by the way, this started with Kristen, and I remember not a day, but a period where I just started to say, boy, my life revolves around me, and yet she's so good to me. That's when you start to say, I got to meet her not halfway, but 90% of the way there. And I think we have found real joy in loving each other's interests as much as our own and finding things where we can partner and be a team and do together. And, you know, I look at tough marriages sometimes, and look, I, 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 am, I am no expert in this thing, but I do know that when it works, and you talk about synergy in business, but when one plus one truly equals three in marriage, you leave the home and you just say, I, I, I can conquer the world because I'm strong there. Yes, sir. And I, I just can't imagine a better partner in life. Than so Christy. part of your history, when you bought into Traeger Grill, they were in Oregon. And the initial idea was for you to move your family to Oregon and keep the culture there alive. And then not in your words, in my interpretation, you chose family team yeah. over corporate team and decided not 100%. to up root your family, move them to Oregon, but move the company to the bubble in Salt Lake City, Utah, where you could start one person at a time to yep. change the culture. So you're, you don't just practice what you preach. You preach only what you practice. Culture matters. Th third and last question. Yeah. What's your secret sauce for being an amazing dad? Any male can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. You qualify, brother. Give us the D secret sauce. Look, uh, first of all, Get better every day because no one's no, no one's an amazing dad. You, like you, you have to earn it every day with your children. I could say a lot of things, but I'm going to say one. Um, and, and do I have time to tell just a just a very quick 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 story? So I remember your, my your assistant Jordan will hate me forever, but it, it's okay. It, it, Go it's on. A, baby. It's okay. She's not here. Um, <coughs> I was uh, four years ago. My seven year old, then three, Gwyneth. Uh, we were at home together. It's about eight o'clock at night. I was doing the dishes. The dishwasher was open. Her legs were kicked up on the dishwasher. I'm putting dishes in and I'm responding to work text messages. And she's telling me these amazing stories that that chatty, opinionated three year olds do. And she could have been saying, "Dad, my arm got cut off today." I would have said, "Quinnet, that's awesome. How did that feel?" I was not present. I was not listening to her. And we got 20 minutes in this conversation. She said, Dad. I said, yep, yep, yep. She said, no, Dad, look at me. Will you look at me when I'm talking to you, please? This is my three-year-old, and it pierced my heart. And by the way, my initial reaction was, was a defensive one. It's like, hey, you know that I'm, I'm cleaning the dishes from the meal, and I'm, and I'm earning tomorrow's meal as I text. I knew that wasn't the truth. And so I decided that when I walk in the door, 
my phone goes in a cupboard until my children are to bed. And of all of the things that I could say have added to my experience as a father, it's, it's being present because my device goes in the cupboard and my children know this is a joke around my house. This is never charged. The watch is never charged. I wear it because I'm comfortable with it. And it allows me to actually be present and think about kid things and not think about what's going on in China. Are, the, are we going to get the grills out? What's going to happen with the tariffs? And so I think being present and recognizing that the days may feel long, but the years go so fast, and you lose that moment to treasure with your children. I find that when I have that perspective, I want to be with them. And like, what's going on at work just doesn't matter. I'll be better if I put it aside for a few hours. There you have it. Do you have one favorite quote that we could leave our listeners on? You know, just take like 30 minutes, end with a meaningful poem or something, make it really cool. So, <laughs> so I, 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 I don't have anything that comes to mind immediately. We'll have you back, give you but, a chance but, to think. But, but now I have time. I'll okay. be ready next time. Okay. Can you repeat that one um, mantra that you said that, that, that the goal of Traeger Grills is to make your life more flavorful? Did I get it right? Bringing people together to create a more flavorful world. There you have it. Jeremy Andrus, Traeger Grills, now public. His wife, Kristen, is very active on social media. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a snapshot of what marriage can be, what parenting can be, but more importantly, what a CEO can be in a public company to maintain culture so that you are exactly what I thought you'd be, the same offstage as you're on stage. I, I can say on behalf of everyone who knows you, we love you, we honor you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.